Hello, and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast. This is your co-host, Miles, and on this week's show, we have a review of Netflix's smash hit, Umbrella Academy Season 2, the latest movie news, trailers, listener questions, and a quarter of a century old birthday for our old friend, Kevin Costner's Waterworld, the aquatic blockbuster misfire in our video store corner. Dry land is not a myth. I have seen it. I need to pause for a moment because my ever plagiarized introduction for my shipmate is wave a ring on the dark side. So please take this with a glass of purified urine and a pinch of salt. He's not a freak and he can take you anytime. He's killed dozens of people and he doesn't have any mercy or anything. He even kills little girls. (laughs) Getting nervous, aren't you? He doesn't have a name, so death can't find him. Doesn't have a home or people to care for. He's not afraid of anything. Men, least of all. He's strong and fast, like a big wind. (laughs) He has a lot of wind. He can hear 100 miles and see 100 miles underwater. He can hide in the shadow of the noon sun. He could be right behind you and you won't even know it till you're dead. He'll come for you. He will. It's Phil. Hello. <laughs> I've also got fishy gill ears. <laughs> Can I just say one thing for our lawyers? He, he doesn't kill little girls. That was just in the script of Waterworld, and I'm just I don't do that. rehashing it here. Good. How are you, Phil? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you doing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Melting in this heat right now. It's ridiculous. It is hot, hot today. Woo. It is a hot day. Today's the kind of day where I feel like the world is about to turn into a water world. I sort of wish it did today, a little bit. <laughs> you too. I today. could do with a swim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do have a cold beer, though, so that helps. Oh, I have a cold Evian. <laughs> very, uh, that's not as good. Well, I agree with you. But I won't be <laughs> drunk by the end of this, and you will. So Possibly. shame on me, I guess. Uh, what have you been watching this week? Have you been watching anything fun? On your... I've gone a bit mad this week. Okay, I've, I did a lot of um, late night binge watching this week. I'm glad you finished that with binge watching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this week, I have been mostly watching. Um, I watched The Shining. Uh, I watched Jaws two. Or Jaws the Revenge, as I believe it's full title. Yeah. I watched Pacific Rim. All of these were just on late night TV, and I just Mm -hmm. happened to turn on when they just started, so I I couldn't stop. Um, I think most of them ended about 2 a.m. as well. So, yeah, I've I've watched a few films this week that I've not seen. I've seen all of those before, but not for a long time, so it was quite nice to see all those again. All fantastic films. Question for you about Jaws to the revenge yeah is it the revenge of the shark or is it the revenge of brody <laughs> because the shark dies in the end spoiler alert shark spoiler. fucking dies at the end but brody also gets to kill another shark so is it actually brody's revenge on the shark because the shark isn't revenging because the shark dies yeah unless they're related it might be the shark's son or something from Jaws 1. They should have called it Jaws 2 Brody's Revenge. That's what they should have called it. Maybe. 
just have. I mean, he like doesn't have as electrocuting as... sharks with like cables. <laughs> he doesn't have as hard a time in Jaws two, does he? He sort of knows what he's doing. He just gets a boat, goes out there, kills a shark. Exactly. He's become Quint basically with fewer scars. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is his revenge. I don't know. Unless, as I said, unless the shark in Jaws two is related to the shark in Jaws one. The one scene I remember in that that's terrifying is when the 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 shark goes under the, like the yacht, the sailboat. Yeah, yeah. They're all on above. like the little skiff things. Yes, and you see and, it from uh, like above. Yeah. It also, t- <laughs> in probably the most ridiculous part of the film, takes out a um a, a, a police helicopter <laughs> that lands on the water to save the kids, and then the, and then and then the shark just comes out and takes this. The helicopter underneath and sinks the helicopter with the. What about uh, what about in um, is it Jaws four where with Michael Caine? <laughs> what where where the shark? Have you seen? You haven't seen it. I think it's Jaws four no. where um, the shark basically takes out an aeroplane piloted by the pilot, which is Michael Caine, and at this point, uh, Brody's widow, his wife. Is, um, is is basically seeing like Michael Caine or kind of flirting with Michael Caine. Michael Caine plays Hoagie and you've got Ellen Brody played by Lorraine Gray. So Michael Caine kind of crashes on the water and Lorraine Gray and the daughter Carla Brody and all that, they're all still on a boat watching. And in true Indiana Jones style, you see the shark ripping this plane apart, like eating the side of this plane, climbing inside it and, eat, and eating the cockpit. And in true Indiana Jones style, Michael Caine pops up on the boat, on the other side of the boat from where they're looking, and stands next to them, watching the shark eating the plane, and just utters, God, a bloody breath on that thing. (laughs) Shut up. You just made that up. (laughs) Wow. I need to see that. God, a bloody breath on that thing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this part is called the shark. The first part is called Bruce. The second part <laughs> is called the plane. The third part <laughs> is called the breath. <laughs> wow, I, I need to see that. You do well. Um, I think we're going to be talking about that next week. Brilliant. The other th- the other thing I watched is um, uh, this is one that's been on my added. You know, you get your Netflix list and you add things to it. And a couple of years go by oh, yeah. and you think, oh yeah, I need to watch that. And I started, I'm about five or six episodes into the first series of Happy. Ah, yes. Uh, have you seen that? I've I've had multiple recommendations to watch this. It's brilliant. I love it. It's really good. And I, What do you like about it? As I said, I added it to my, it looked crazy. I saw the trailer for it and it, you know, it's about an ex-cop that uh, goes a bit mental. He's ultra violent and uh, suddenly gets not haunted but joined by his daughter's imaginary friend in the shape of a i think it's it's a unicorn it's a small unicorn horse thing with buck teeth uh and it is great love it that's christopher maloney right he's in that he's in yeah uh, christopher and he's awesome american summer awesome in it Mm. it's really violent it's really funny it's awesome yeah, so have you watched all of season one and season two, or are you just no? Just I'm, I'm think I think I'm up to episode six of eight of series one, and there's another there's two seasons I think. So uh, I most of the way out. through series one. 
Oh, you yeah. gotta watch it. It's great. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've heard it's, it's very, good fun. very good. I've heard it's very yeah. good. And it sounds right up my alley. Dark humor. Yeah. Crime based. It's great. I've been watching um season two of Succession, the HBO uh kind of dark comedy show in the in the vein of the thick of it. Actually, I think mm-hmm. Jesse Armstrong, the show creator, was actually working on the thick of it and uh a few of the other um kind of similar comedies that have that have been out there, like Veep. Um, but this Succession's a great show. It, have you seen season one of Succession? Sort of? I've, I have not. No. Okay, so it's it's about basically the Roy family. They're a tycoon family, led by the uh, the wonderful Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox, and right. uh, he he plays this kind of Rupert Murdoch like King Lear media billionaire. Um, and as he's kind of running his own companies, he has basically three or four children, four children, I think it is, who are all kind of vying for the control of the company when he retires or dies or whatever. And it's about the kind of ruthlessness of them, them all. It's really dark. They're all sociopaths. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for this oh, now. Yeah. It is so freaking good. It's so good. Um, yeah. Every episode is, is incredible. I'm on, I'm on season two. There's this... There's an episode in season two um, called The Boar on the Floor. And right. it's just this this family game that it's everything is so kind of passive aggressive. And there's this family game that Brian Cox plays. But basically in, in, in it ends up he ends up basically humiliating a number of people. And it's it's just deliciously dark. It's, a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people love it. It's that kind of thing. Right. I love it because it's so it's so dark and awkward comedy and Basically, in every scene, uh, Brian Cox just inappropriately tells people to fuck off. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> just the end of every scene, just like, fuck off now. And people just, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And what's that uh, on? That's on HBO. So it'll probably be okay. on Now TV in the UK and Europe yeah. um, and other streaming platforms around the world. But that's absolutely freaking amazing. Uh, and then also, I've been watching in a slight twist a reality travel show called Extreme Engagement on Netflix, which is it follows an Australian couple who recently got engaged and they decide to travel the world together and visit different cultures and discuss uh, monogamy and engagement and marriage rituals. And they stay with tribes in in like Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. And they have to like. Okay. Uh, like build a kayak and find like a chicken egg because this egg is gonna in the middle of the jungle is gonna basically tell them whether or not that she's fertile all this kind of stuff it's real it's actually really cool it's one of those cool kind of travel things to watch and especially if you've been in quarantine for a long time like all of us just seeing other places uh, yeah is is good a bit, a bit so, refreshing really refreshing so pretty good i watched a couple episodes of that and i'm okay keeping on keeping on with that but to be honest i just i binged season two of succession this week and I feel a little bit dirty, but I also feel like I could take over a a media tycoon's empire right now. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm absolutely ready to go. And I'd come in and you'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. So let's jump into this week's listener question. This week, we heard from Gavin in the UK, who says, hi, Miles and Phil. The other week, you guys talked about Dread, a movie I really wish they made a sequel to. Me too, Gav. My question is, what sequel do you wish they would make? What sequel do you wish they never made? And what is the greatest sequel of all time? Mm. <sighs> Phil, I mean, what sequel do you wish they would make? 
wish they would make. This one's really hard for me because generally any film that I hold dear, that I love in its entirety, generally I don't want them to fuck with it (laughs) and do another one. So, because you don't, no one wants a film that they love ruined by a shit sequel. Roger that, roger that. Um, I would say, so I'm, I'm treading lightly here, and this is one that's particularly dear to me, and it could be ruined. But I was trying to think of one that would work now with a lot of the reboots and sequels that are coming out of 80s classics. I thought maybe the Goonies could work. I mean, I really don't want them to mess with it because the original is amazing. But if they could get mm. the original cast back together and... I mean, it does help that I watched the Reunited Apart episode on YouTube where they about the Goonies and sort of saw them all together again. But you could see that working. You know, it could... I suppose if it was going to go down the um, predictable route, it could be the kids of the, the adults that are now a similar age that they were in the 80s and they could go on some sort of madcap adventure together. I'd like um, to see it I'd like to see it link back to the original in some way like there's maybe they've all struggled, you know, in life for some reason because of something to do with one-eyed willie's treasure, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And they have to go back to kind of to do something. You know, that would be quite cool. Yeah. Or they meet up for like a reunion type thing like years later and then end up on some sort of like sort of like city slickers. Well they think they're on some sort of treasure hunt. It sounds like it chapter two. Did you see the, the new it movies? I only saw the first one of those. So it it chapter two, they all meet up in this Chinese restaurant and they basically decide to go back on another adventure. It's really good. It's a, it's almost if not as good as the original. The, okay. the, the for chapter one um really really good so it kind of that could work quite well i just i don't want to see i don't no. want to see young kids playing goonies no I, I think i've put myself off of it just by saying it out loud yeah i wrote it down but now saying it i don't cgi hear sloth i mean one thing i thought would work and they've actually done it now i think it's they're filming it now is coming to america oh yeah coming to to america brilliant um yeah, that's in production now, I think. With friend of the show, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> yeah. He's in there. Yeah, I think that, I think that could be good fun. And it was good to see, because I think Eddie Murphy's picked up a bit again, because he had a period of making some absolute Dolomite was amazing. Dolomite, Dolomite was, amazing. was great. Dolomite, for me, was like his return to being awesome. Yeah. After a string of horrendous films. Yeah. Um, so I think this could be awesome. But, you know, who knows? I don't think... He, you know, the original is a great comedy, 80s classic, and I love it, but I don't think, oh, it's, nothing's going to ruin it, really. Yeah, as long as you can buy a Big Mick instead of a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, I think that could be good. What about That's you? Cool. I was think. I mean, it's tough, actually, because the one movie that I really wanted to become a sequel has become, is becoming a sequel, and that is obviously, I go on and on about it, but Tron Legacy... Um, I love that movie, the cliffhanger ending where we see Sam and Cora escape the uh, from from obviously um, from the from the arcade machine mm. and jump out into the real world. That has left me hanging for a long time. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> um, and that you know, obviously, may now be a thing with Disney Plus greenlighting the sequel. 
Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm really looking forward to. But most important, I want the I want the team behind Tron Legacy to come back because the cinematographer was incredible. Daft Punk was amazing on the soundtrack. The director Joe Kaczynski is is also amazing and is, is going on to bigger and better things. But I would love to see those people back because visually it was stunning and yeah. from an audio perspective was stunning as well. Another sequel that I would this is more of me um, being a sadomasochist. Um, but what I would really like to see is Nick Cave's script, the musician Nick Cave from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Mm. He wrote a script for Gladiator 2. And oh, this is yeah. a real thing. Yeah, I read about that. And spoiler alert, Russell Crowe, a.k.a. Maximus Decimus Meridius, dies at the end of Gladiator. But in Nick Cave's script, and this is a real thing, he we actually see Maximus in the underworld fighting giant beasts <laughs> to plot his escape yes. back to the mortal coil. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Sold. Slaying beasts in the underworld. I'm in. Awesome. I'm definitely in for that. So get that get that bad boy made. I mean, it's not going to make any money, but just no. because I want to see Russell Crowe, especially as he is now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him in, in <laughs> squeezing into the old armor. Oh yeah, that'd be a winner. So, what would you say in in terms of a, a sequel that you wish they had never made? I've got a long list of these, and I'm going to reel off a, f- a few of them. Me too. Um, Dumb and Dumber Two. Is that Dumb and Dumber or Dumb and Dumber Two T O? T O. Yep. Um, and dumb, and just after that, I was going to say, even worse was Dumb and Dumberer. Yeah, never saw I don't it. Think, Love Dumb I don't, and Dumber. Never saw I Dumb don't and think, Dumberer. Don't ever, because I honestly could only stomach about two minutes of it before I, I had to turn it off. It was that awful. Um, so they shouldn't have been made. Um, what about Van Wilder Two: The Rise of Taj? <laughs> oh God, I've put. Uh, Jaws 3D, going back to Jaws. Oh, Jaws 3D is but not Jaws absolute... Paul with Michael Caine. <laughs> well, I've not seen it, so I can't judge. <laughs> the bloody breath on death. <laughs> but Jaws 3D, wow. Um, no, uh, it was awful. Universal Soldier, the return. Question Did you actually see Jaws 3D in 3D though? No, but well, so... it would make no. It would make it no better. It's like the worst three D, like rubbish bits of jaws, like shark guts coming. If you at felt the like you were actually in that underwater theme park you would, thing you in three D, the it most detached three D experience I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Um, yeah, Universal Soldier: The Return, awful. Was that the one with Bill Goldberg? Bill Goldberg, the wrestler. Wow. Fun fact, one of the that was one of the first DVDs I saw. Like when DVD came out. Did you see video. it and then not see it because you threw it straight in the bin? I was like, look at the quality of the picture, but not the quality of the motion picture. <laughs> look at the shine um, on Goldberg's head. It's high definition. Um that was terrible. Halloween H2O. Awful. Awful. Robocop 3. Awful. awful. Uh Speed 2, pretty awful. Cruise Control. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speed 2, Cruise Control. 
with then, Jason Patrick. I love it when they say at the beginning, oh, yeah, she was dating Keanu Reeves, but she's moved on now. And now she's dating yes. another guy from the same team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad. Poor old Jack. <laughs> and then this isn't really sequel related, but I hate the remakes thing. You know, like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Why have they got to remake that? Yeah. Hellboy, reimagine that. But Girl no. with a Dragon Tattoo, the David Fincher movie, was a great movie. I'd, yeah, but they didn't need to do it. They didn't need to do it. I agree. But that's Hollywood. Yeah, I know. Wreck is the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just don't need to do a lot of these annoying um, remakes just for mm-hmm. the sake of it being not a foreign language film. Mm-hmm. When it's already clear. I'm not sure enough. that a remake constitutes as a sequel, though. So I think, no, I don't. So I'll, I think I'll, we expand that away from the list. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I just got angry and I had to write it. <laughs> is that is that well, done? I feel like we're yeah. I'm sorry, I'm done. That was that, you, yeah. You're sorry, an angry, angry man, Phil. An angry man. <laughs> they just shouldn't do it, Miles. <laughs> I want them to stop. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm a little bit more high budget than some of your your sequels that you threw oh, okay. out there because many of yours were. Let's face it, you know, bargain bin, bottom of the bargain bin, straight to video. What, Jaws 3D? I mean, that was obviously played in 3D theatres around the world in the fucking 80s, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. All three of them. <laughs> um, so the sequel that I wish never existed, clearly, is Star Wars The Last Jedi, because it's a pile of shit. Um, Finn horseback riding around Monaco, bless him. Luke being a complete douchebag, just completely giving up on the whole Jedi stuff and being a, being an old grumpy dick. Oh, and who who could forget seeing your childhood hero tit milking a sunbathing walrus beast for its blue lactose fluids and spilling it down his beard? Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> I mean, that was odd. Uh, it's I'll a pile it of shit. It's an absolute pile of shit. Leia being force sensitive and. Oh, she gets blown out of the spaceship and now she's able to levitate in space and magnetically pull herself back inside without the oxygen. <laughs> oh. Everyone would be doing off. that. I'm sorry. I, I like Ryan Johnson. I love his creativity. I like Brick. I like Looper. Um, loved Knives Out. Um, nothing against him whatsoever. Love all his Breaking Bad episodes like Fly. Mm. The Last Jedi was a pile of wank and it even to this day, it makes me angry just thinking about it. <laughs> so terrible. So bad. Um, yeah. So, and obviously then JJ had a ton of shit having to try and bookend this this trilogy and try to kind of retcon a lot of the stuff that was raised in that while having to deal with, obviously, Carrie Fisher's passing and... Mm you know, bringing in Palpatine. Basically, they, they killed Snoke, the bad guy from the whole series, and then were left with no villain. So, because obviously the storyline from the start was a redemption story for for Ben Solo. Yeah. So, they really messed up with that for me. Really, mm. really messed up with that. And then, you know, obviously in, in then that, that final Rise of Skywalker, Ben Solo basically decides that he's going to be good because he imagines his dad is alive and talking to him on the ship after he's been stabbed. I mean, it's not even a force ghost. He literally just imagines he's actually telling himself to be good. Um, he's just meant and then, yeah. And then he turns up in that silly, silly bollocks Sith cave 
without his shirt on, beats up the Knights of Ren, who, let's face it, were utter crap, mm-hmm. and and then gets blown off a cliff by Palpatine, <laughs> <laughs> and then dies. The end. So, shite. Um, I like <laughs> shite. The Force Awakens, but I think shite. I think they really, they really dropped the ball with that one. Another yeah. sequel that it didn't so much make me angry as it was just crap was Independence Day Resurgence. Oh god, yeah. So just awful god awful. The mm. fact they didn't get Will Smith, I think, was a huge problem for this movie. Yeah. Um Jeff Goldblum was obviously in in here. Uh but I couldn't even tell you what the plot was. They were sucking up parts of the cities and then spitting them down on other parts of the world or something. Um visually it looked fun. I completely um, blocked out that film. Yeah, me too. There was because there was nothing fun in there. There was no you know, it wasn't. They didn't go too serious. They didn't go too fun. It. They just weren't really having any fun with it. The the one yeah. scene in there that I just was like, I, I nearly stood up and walked out of the cinema. Yes, I paid to see this. Was <laughs> was when Jeff Goldblum's dad, it, it, he hijacks a school bus full of kids in New York, and he drives to New Mexico with them all on the bus, and he just pulls up in the middle of the desert, and Jeff Goldblum happens to be there. And he's like, oh. David, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, what are the just, chances? Just what are the chances of seeing you here in the middle of the fucking desert? <laughs> just a terrible, terrible film. Terrible. I've forgotten the amount of times I've seen old friends in the in the middle of the desert. I know, I know. Actually, I have seen old friends in the middle of the desert. Believe it or not, that has actually happened to me. But it wasn't Jeff Goldblum or his dad, so it gets nil point. From me in this in this occasion. So, what about um, what about the greatest sequels of all time? Have you compiled a small list like I have? Yeah, I have. Uh, in no particular order, for me, I I'm just going to put them out there. So, do it. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, Aliens. Yeah. Terminator Two. And I'm putting Back to the Future 2 on there as well. Love all of them. I think Aliens is a really interesting one. So yeah. firstly, going from being this like lo-fi, um, basically slasher horror yeah. um, on, on a small scale, to being an action romp with the Colonial Marines and the atmosphere and everything. And it's a long fucking movie as well. It's, it's incredible long though. So incredible. Um, the balls on Jim Cameron saying basically going from alien and saying what are we going to call the sequel well aliens (laughs) there's more than one (laughs) brilliant (laughs) done um sigourney weaver's amazing in it um everyone's amazing bill paxton michael bean um it's so tense. It's, oh. I mean, the first one's amazing as well, obviously. But yeah. the second one is one of my favorite action thrillers. They're in the walls, man. It's so tense. That heartbeat sensor, the sound of their rifles, the pulse rifles, is yeah. like the best movie gun sound ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just, it still looks incredible. And that is, it, was made is, it, in- is it as good as Danny Glover's <laughs> pocket cannon from Lethal Weapon movies? <laughs> Because when he fires that fucking thing, Jesus, my whole I mean that, house yeah. shakes. No, it's still the pulse rifle wins. Any, <laughs> it's going to win any film gun sound ever. That's, yeah, that's the coolest cool. thing. That is a cool. Plus, it's got gun. a shotgun attachment. Yeah, best movie weapon probably goes to that. 
Um, yeah, it's just incredible. And it still looks amazing. I think it looks so ahead of its time. It's it's great. It really does. And actually in the, the director's cut, which I think is superior with the uh, automated... Um, oh, the turret thing. Turrets. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's wow. Awesome. And they're t- he's shouting out the percentages of how many. Yeah, they run out of. Oh, they run yeah. out of the bullets. 50%. Oh. 50%. Oh, they're God. still coming. Oh, my God. I need yeah. to. Can I? I'm going to stop the podcast so I can go and watch it. Yeah, Aliens. I think I will too. I'll speak to you in two hours and 52 minutes. All right. Okay, mate. See you later. <laughs> bye, bye. 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 So that was Aliens. Loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got that on my list as well. I'm surprised you didn't have a couple of things I think you missed. I also have Back to the Future Part 2. Yeah. I think it is good. It does. Like, if you watch that as a standalone movie, though, it's it's not great because it. I agree. As a standalone, a lot of questions. Not, as no. part of it all, it's amazing. But what kind of psychopath would watch Back to the Future Two on its own and not watch the first one before it or the next one after? <laughs> That's right. Like any any Back to the Future watch involves all three. Do you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. once you've done the first, you're like, fuck it, I've got to watch them all now. Oh, I'll just put it on now. Yeah, I'll just put this on for nine hours of Back to the Future. <laughs> it's true. Incredible. Surprised you didn't say the two towers. Oh well, I was going to write that, but I thought I had enough. You do, but have it a lot. is that is amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal. The Helm's Deep battle, blimey! I think the only other one that you that for me you missed was Godfather Part Two of the classics. Yeah, I think like De Niro in that is friggin' amazing, and and also Al Pacino's storyline, his character arc when he goes from being the innocent blue eyed boy coming back from the army to basically being the godfather, replacing yeah. Brando, the thing he never wanted to do. Um, I love that. That character arc is amazing. Yeah, it's good. Um, I got a couple others from left field. So um, I loved Blade Runner 2049. I oh, thought yeah. it was amazing. Really good. Did, did you see that one? I did see it. I saw it on a flight, I think. Oh, from that's somewhere. the kind of movie you really need to watch on the biggest fucking screen possible, not on an airplane. Yeah. Actually, I saw it on the flight coming back from visiting you in New York. Oh, that was... I think, yeah. That's awesome then, in that case. Perfect. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I love that movie. I think it's great. Really slow burn, really kind of, you know, somber atmosphere, um, in, intelligent. Um, love the visuals again. Love the soundtrack yeah. by Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wolfish. Love that stuff. Um, just a, a peach of a movie. I saw it twice in the IMAX uh, cinema actually I, love, mm. I loved it that much um born supremacy yeah that's good absolutely that good. fucking amazing movie yeah absolutely amazing the way it starts with um with his partner being killed it being shot in the head you know um that's spoilers uh i mean <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie come on yeah you um but the way it brings him back in and i think born supremacy really is, is it takes all the credit for for reinventing bond with Casino Royale, it was yeah. really the the step in that right direction that I think has has moved Bond forward as well. Um, yeah, and I think it doesn't get the credit it deserves these days. A lot of people talk about Bond and like Mission Impossible as well, like that kind of yeah, all of those sort of better later ones of that franchise. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd actually put all of the Mission Impossible sequels in there, um, except Mission Impossible Two because it's a pile of John Woo sized poo. Yeah, that's um, quite bad. I should have put that in the uh, wish they never made part. Yeah, true. Let's put that in. Let's slide that in. And then my final one is an unusual one, but it is a sequel that I believe is superior 
to the original. Mm-hmm. It is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I. Oh. Come on, who doesn't want who at Christmas time doesn't want a Griswold oh, no. family Christmas? I watch it without fail every Christmas. Shedders fall. <laughs> That's I mean... you, your cousin Eddie. <laughs> I am. Eggnog, Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> you would definitely yeah. go out and kidnap my boss, tie him to a chair, and like force him to pay me my bonus. I would. And it, uh... <laughs> And you'd definitely get locked in the attic watching family memories on a old projector screen wearing like <laughs> women's uh, clothing. Women's clothing. Crying. One hundred percent. Yeah. So that was this week's listener question. Thanks for that one, Gavin. Really fun answering that one. I enjoyed uh, that. If anyone else has got a listener question, please do reach out to us on our usual channels through Instagram at, at Movie Mouth Podcast, on Facebook, or if you know us, drop us a blooming WhatsApp or a text message. Get in touch. So in this week's news, uh, we got a lot of stuff to get into this week. Um, I'll round it off. I'll start out with uh, the latest Emmy nomination news that was announced this week. The nominations are now in for 2020. And Netflix is racking up a huge 160 total nominations for their content this year, which is insane. Um, But leading the pack, we have a a number of shows uh, Watchmen is the leader with 26 nominations in total, um, which uh, is is looking like it, it may well be picking up a, a lot of wins. Mm. The Marvelous Mrs. Meisel on Amazon Prime, uh, currently at 20. Succession on HBO, as we mentioned earlier, on 18. Ozark on Netflix, 18 nominations. Schitt's Creek, which is a show that's really flourished. I haven't actually had, had the time to dip into this, but getting a lot of good feedback from this. This was one of those initial Netflix comedies that kind of went under the radar and it's really grown steam over the last couple of se- seasons. Um, so Shit's Creek is currently on, on 15 and we'll round that list off with the Mandalorian also at 15 nominations, obviously the, the Disney plus star Wars series, which yeah. fans seem to seem to enjoy. And, and when we look at the outstanding drama series, so we have better call Saul, the crown, the Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Succession. Now that is a really tight list yeah. of, of drama. I mean, tough to say who's going to walk away with it. There, cool. Better Call Saul, The Crown, Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things. There's some strong contenders there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I. I mean, I personally would. I don't know. I would. I would probably say Succession, just because I'm. I'm currently addicted to it. But having the Crown, I don't think that this was the strongest season of the Crown, um, which is obviously season three that I'm referring to. Um, I would say the same for The Handmaid's Tale as well. Killing Eve again. I didn't love season two um, or, or three. I, I think season one was was brilliant. The Mandalorian, I think, was above average. Maybe not the most incredible thing on TV this yeah. year, but but good. Uh, Ozark again, massively impressive, and Stranger Things. I think that's that season that came out, uh, season three last summer was just wonderful, amazing yeah, stuff. It was good, really. Better, um, call, Better Call Saul yeah. though is fantastic. It's one of the my most enjoyed programs series. Are you up to date with it as well? Yeah, I am. I love it. I absolutely love Better Call Saul. Wow, I prefer it to Breaking Bad. Really? Yeah, that's I love. I, I, I love it. I really love it. I think he. 
Bob Odendurk is absolutely phenomenal in that yeah. show. He's great. All the performances are good in it, but it's funny, it's clever, it's brilliant. Um, no, I love him. No, yeah. I absolutely love him. And and strangely, he actually hasn't been nominated for the outstanding lead actor in a, in a drama series. That that falls to Steve Carell in the morning show, Jason Bateman in Ozark, which is good to see because I think he's really kind of plums and depth in in Ozark. Billy Porter from Pose, the uh, FX um, Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Cox in Succession, who, as I said, fuck off. <laughs> um, Jeremy Strong, also in Succession, playing his son. Um, absolutely brilliant in that as well. And Sterling K. Brown in in This Is Us. Um, so, you know, some good nominations there, but I think missing missing a few, I would say. Um, yeah. The comedy series... Uh, we're looking at Curb Your Enthusiasm, which has been nominated, Dead to Me on Netflix, uh, The Good Place, um, Insecure, The Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin, which I really enjoyed on Netflix, Right. Uh, the marvelous Mrs. Meisel again, Shit's Creek, and the for me, what the, the series that I absolutely love, which is What We Do in the Shadows, um, which the, the remake of the Taika Waititi um, mocu- mockumentary that came yeah. out a few years ago. The, the the US version of that on FX is absolutely brilliant um, and uh, needs to be seen. It has such a good cast as well with uh, Kyvan Novak in there. And um, uh, what's his name from... Uh, uh, yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Matt Berry. <laughs> Matt Berry. Yeah. Matt Berry's in there as well, man. He's so good. Yeah. So good. I love him. Um, so that's that's nominated as well, and then outstanding <laughs> limited series where you've got Little Fires Everywhere, which is the new Reese Witherspoon uh, Hulu show, Mrs. America uh, with Kate Blanchett, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and then for me the the series that that blew my mind last year that I thought was the best piece of television I've seen in a long time was actually Watchmen, which as a big fan of the graphic novel and even of the of the movie, um, this kind of sequel series is a mind blower it's absolutely amazing yeah, I'm not seen um, it yet. oh it is so so good and it takes the 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 current climate of race politics in the us and around the world um to the next level really um it's it's absolutely incredible uh, and also good to see that regina king um, who plays the lead in in Watchmen is also nominated for the outstanding lead actress in a limited series or movie, alongside Kerry Washington from Little Fires Everywhere, Kate Blanchett, Mrs. America, Octavia Spencer from Self Made, and uh, Shira Huss from Unorthodox. So I think this this year's uh, Emmys are going to be really really tight. There's going to be a yeah. lot of big omissions from the winners. Um, I just I really want to see Watchmen picking stuff up because I think it's a really important show and and really important for, for the age that we're in. I need to watch uh, it. Today, yeah. How about yourself? What have you picked up on the news this week? I've got a couple of little bits of news mm. um, I'll plough through. So both uh, TV-related. Um, first one, in fact, going back to uh, was it, it's Gav's, Gav's question about sequels mm-hmm. and him wishing there was a Dread sequel, he will be pleased to know, well, he might be, that... Um, there is a dread TV series in it's been written, it's been finalized, everything, but I think it's, it's it was reported this week that it's been put on hold just because of the coronavirus situation. But is it starring Carl Urban? Well, it's thought that he that the um that it might star 
Carl Urban. They want him back for it. Mm-hmm. And also <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, which I'm not sure. What? Both of them? Yeah. Well, they might want him to put like an appearance in. Is what I've read. I am the law. <laughs> which is probably best. Uh, well, we couldn't mention that in the sequels thing because it wasn't a sequel, was it? It was just awful. Um, but I, I would really look forward to a Judge Dredd series. I think it would work brilliantly as a series. It would. Um, Budget worries me. That's the only thing I'd yeah, say. Yeah, they need to do it justice. I think. That's the kind of thing Amazon <laughs> could pick up in the... <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing Amazon could pick up, you know, so easily. They've invested in so many shows at the moment. And a, yeah. a, a product like Dredd as well, it's such a well-known brand name, you know. And if you can get Carl Urban in there, then why the hell not? I mean, they've got him on The Boys already. He's brilliant in The Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, English accent, notwithstanding, it's truly a terrible English accent. Um, <laughs> but if you can, if you can get him in dread, do it. Let's do it. Let's go, yeah. Amazon or Netflix. Someone just pick this up. And the go. script has been written, so it's out there. Wow, it's hopefully going to be picked up. So that's good. And then the other one, which is a uh, game uh, TV crossover, which I'm quite excited about, and I sent you an article about this in the week when I saw mm-hmm. it. Um, was about the Splinter Cell anime series, which has been potentially picked up by Netflix. And I think that could be great. I mean, I'm a big fan of the original Splinter Cell game well, and the other games that followed it as well. I thought they were fantastic. We've got good memories of playing those. Um, and yeah, so supposedly this has been picked up. Uh, well, Netflix and Ubisoft have teamed up for it. So Ubisoft being the maker of the game. Um, so I think it could be really good, and it's, it's um it's got Derek Colstad on board, and he's the writer for the John Wick franchise. That's right. He he wrote all three of them, didn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Mm, and mm. he's on as a writer and executive producer for the series. So I think it could be great. Um, I'm on board. I, I hope they bring Sam Fisher. You know into the the old sam fisher i don't want to see young fisher that's that's not what i'm interested in but i did i did know that obviously tom hardy for a long time has been attached to a splinter cell movie i think since since the start of this decade or the last decade mm. and it's still he's still attached on imdb so i don't know what's going on with that one no. but um this this is good for me i love this this game franchise is one of my favorite franchises on on modern consoles yeah. And I would love to see them bring this to TV because it tells me that they may be working on a tie-in uh, yeah. game. Series. I think it worked really well as an anime as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge news. Yeah, that's good. And then a couple of other just really quick little bits. So I've got um uh <laughs> this is this because I picked it up just because the premise of this film sounds uh ridiculous. So Amy Adams who you might know from uh, American Hustle and uh, mm-hmm. Justice League and lots of other things. She is potentially going to be working on an adaption of uh, an upcoming novel called Night Bitch. Um, <laughs> and I'll just read this because... <laughs> is it Night with a K or Night with an N? Night with an N. But <laughs> I'll just read this word for word because it's brilliant. So, exposing the absurd and fell truths of motherhood, Night Bitch is described as a darkly comedic story about an unnamed woman and former artist who is thrust into uh, stay-at-home domesticality uh, after the birth of her son, uh, who becomes increasingly worried that she may be turning into a dog. What? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you say dog? 
Doug, yeah, Doug. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I just saw it in the news. I thought, wow, that is Dark the comic. I'm on board. Yeah. I'm on board. I like. I really like um, Amy Adams. I think she's absolutely she's really awesome good. in yeah. everything she's ever been in. I think she's an incredible yeah. actress. I and love that you picked a... her out as starring in Justice League, though. Like, who remembers her starring in Justice League? Yeah, sorry. It's just from the <laughs> list of credits. That um, but, uh, and then I think the most important bit of news that I've had all week is that um, Courtney Cox is going to be reprising her role as reporter Gail Weathers in the upcoming Scream 5. Season. That's definitely the most important news. Yeah. I'm, Who else is I'm attached to that. that? Is there anyone else involved in that? I, did, I didn't Did look Campbell that far survive into it. Scream 4? I don't know. I can't remember. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't look into it. Who cares? I got, I got bored. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no one cares. That series is done. I mean, isn't it on TV now? I thought they had a Scream TV show. I don't which care. Is, yeah. Who cares? Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, thanks uh, for bringing it to our attention anyway. And yeah, I thought, that yeah, of our listeners. Why not? Gail Weathers is the thing. I mean, Oh, yeah. Ga- Gail, Gail Weathers. Weathers. Do you see what they did there? Gail Brilliant. Weathers. I saw some news this week where AMC and Universal finally agreed to a revenue share deal for their video on demand releases. Basically, Universal started pushing out loads of their content, loads of their new release movies. Um, I think the Trolls movie this summer was one of the big ones. Um, straight onto video on demand, meaning that the theatres who've been waiting for that revenue were going to miss out. So yeah. AMC, who also own Odeon in Europe, uh, had basically embargoed all Universal releases from their cinemas, saying that when they reopen, they're not going to show the likes of Jurassic World and, and others. Um, yeah. But in this case, they have now actually decided to um, tie, the, tie the knot on the deal. And now they're actually going to share some of the revenue when Universal decides to uh, push their content onto video on demand. So this is likely to see other studios following up. My one concern about this is, is that it's just going to, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. Basically, mm. it means that content is going to be available on demand immediately, as at the same time it's in theaters, meaning that streaming and pirating is going to be even more overbearing for that channel. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to really decrease the need for people to go to theatres. So, you know, we've been waiting for this to happen for a long time. And yeah, it's a sad, it'll be a sad day. I mean, at the same time, we're all waiting for a lot of, you know, content that we've been waiting to see, like the new Bond movie, for example, and Tenet to come out. So, you know, there is a good thing there. But Are they also... talking about it being temporary, though, or it's going to be a... Like, no, this is, through... a, this is a long-term strategy for Universal. Well, that really will change the, the yeah. way that people watch. I mean... You can see it happening just with the way that things are so yeah. instantly available now. Yeah, and Universal have actually said that they're holding back their tentpole content and releases right. for, um, for for cinema only, but that's yet to be seen. You know, I mean, yeah. Trolls was a huge movie, and the fact they released that that way, um, they weren't with happy a with the price tag. No, no, they, AMC were not happy about that. Mm. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that starts to pan out. But no doubt, Warner Brothers, Sony, they're all going to start trying to chip away at this. Disney. Yeah, um, I've got obviously got their own channels to to push it out through. So we'll we'll see more on that in the in the coming months for sure. Uh, we also found out Tenet is is being released apparently on <laughs> August the twenty fourth in Europe, and that includes the UK, France, Spain, Germany, um, and potentially Labor Day weekend in the US. So fingers crossed, it's coming out, guys. 
Just hold on a little time bit or another. It will be out at some point. Um, <laughs> so we really want to see that. Uh, Pixar also announced the new release of Luca, which is the debut of Italian filmmaker Enrico Casarosa, who previously helmed Pixar's short The Luna. And according to a brief synopsis, Luca will introduce a boy named Luca as he experiences an unforgettable summer in a seaside town on the Italian Riviera. Been a while since I've loved a Pixar movie, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, the last one I kind of moderately liked was Coco. I quite enjoyed that. I don't know if you saw that one. No, I didn't see that. The Day of the Dead uh, in Mexico set. Um, yeah. was pretty cool. As a musician, you should definitely check that one out. Um, mm. But, you know... Nothing for me has really been up there with the likes of Wally and Ratatouille, which I absolutely love. Yeah, I love both of those. Um, and then in Star Wars news, Disney Plus have or are about to allegedly announce Donald Glover returning as a young Lando Calrissian for a so far unconfirmed TV series mm. on Disney Plus. What did you think of his performance in Solo? I liked it. Yeah, it was really good. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's no Billy D. Williams. Nope. Who is? Blair's came with a Death Star. Um, (laughs) No Billy D. Williams. I love Billy D. Williams. Yeah. He is a god, you old pirate. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm up for any any kind of anything that brings for me Donald Glover and Lando Calrissian onto TV screens is good enough for me. So I want to see the blue cape. Yes. Bring out the cape. Bring out the cape. Uh, and then in trailers, I saw the trailer for the new Simon Pegg and Nick Frost written uh, TV comedy on Amazon, Truth Seekers, about part-time paranormal investigators who are looking into spooky goings-on, filming it, and then posting it on online. Um, and this is coming out sometime later this year on Amazon Prime. Looks fun. It, to me, looks like it's more of a Nick Frost vehicle than a Simon Pegg vehicle. Nick Frost appears to be in a couple of scenes wearing the same outfit or costume, which always makes me think he's got a walk-on role, not necessarily a lead role. Right. But they do but they do co-write it. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's bound to be in, in keeping with lots of the other stuff like Paul that they've co-written in the past as well. Um, so looking forward to that one. Did you watch any trailers, see any trailers this week? I I did. I watched um <laughs> I watched one for uh, the new Liam Neeson film, uh, Honest Thief which is a new action thriller. And it's just another in the long line of um, of Liam Neeson. I don't know how... Liam I will Neeson, find you. It's and basically... I will steal from you. <laughs> it's basically that. And I, or I, does he call them afterwards and say, I've stolen from you. <laughs> well, because he's the honest... I did find you and I did steal from you. <laughs> and you liked it. I think... I'm just being honest. Thief. <laughs> So this has got, yeah, it's got Liam Neeson and Robert Patrick in it. Um, it looks insane and just like a lot of... <laughs> Sold. It, yeah, it, I want to see it. Um, so it's about uh, Liam Neeson is a notorious bank robber and he wants to turn himself in to the FBI because he's found love and wants a reduced sentence <laughs> if he helps what? them out. Yeah, but then a couple. Then, as he's turning himself into the FBI, um, two FBI agents find the money because he told them where it is, and they sort of go rogue and they want to steal the money. So they start this uh, whole. They try to kill him, and he basically goes nuts. And 
he's on the run from the FBI because they think he shot someone and it just looks mental. Uh, the tagline in it is great. It's never steal a man's second chance. <laughs> uh, it looks great a bit awful at the same what time what does that even mean what does that even I, mean never steal a man's second chance well yeah fantastic I mean, it, and he does go full on like he's over the phone like I will find you he does it he does it all on the mm. phone I've stolen uh, from you I'm an honest thief I found you and I stole from you I just want to reduce sentence my name's John I found you could find found me love. here <laughs> Uh, oh so yeah, that looks a bit mental. That's out on the 9th of October. Okay. Um, and the other one I watched, which looks really interesting, uh, is for Kajillionaire. I don't know if you've seen this. This is the new Evan Rachel Wood comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, also starring, um, Deborah Winger and, uh, Gina Rodriguez and, uh, Richard Jenkins, who plays solid cast. Yeah, it's really good. And uh, so Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins play Evan Rachel Wood's parents. It's a bit weird. It's, it's a comedy about the, her parents are con artists and she's grown up with being just taught to swindle and scam anyone at any point. And, you know, the, the, the trailer just sees them ripping off people, nicking stuff. And it looks pretty funny. Um, and I think... Apparently, look, according to the trailer, it looks like they're planning another heist, but they need some help. So they hire Gina Rodriguez and uh, the daughter, Evan Rachel Wood, isn't sort of happy about it because they're used to being a tight-knit threesome of family. But it looks very odd. And it looks like Evan Rachel Wood's playing a character that's a lot younger than she is. Like They're making her look sort of teenage girlish, which is a bit odd. That's but weird. It's, uh, mm. It does look the way it's shot. It, it looks very out there. It looks pretty crazy and quite a different role, I think. Evan Rachel Wood as well, who's good in most you know things. Cajillionaire, so, yeah, Cajillionaire. That's out on the eighteenth of September. Um, yeah, looks like fun. Very cool. Very cool. So, in this week's review section, we have Netflix's Umbrella Academy. Uh, I sat down to watch two episodes of this one. There will be some spoilers for season one. So if you haven't seen season one, maybe just skip forward a little bit. Uh, Nothing too heavy, um, but just to detail some of the plot points here. So the Umbrella Academy is based on Gerard Way, who is the lead singer of the emo band My Chemical Romance, and Gabriel Barr's graphic novel of the same name. This show centers around the Hargreaves family, seven adopted children, including the likes of Ellen Page, Robert Sheehan, and Brit Tom Hooper, Hopper, sorry, um, who were all born on the same day, groomed into becoming a child crime-fighting superhero team by their father-slash-mentor, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, and Pogo, his talking chimpanzee servant. Essentially, this is X-Men for the emo generation. So season one focused on the now grown up Hargreaves clan reuniting after the death of their adoptive father to face a whole new enemy, um, which was basically the end of the world as we know it. So it was really nice to see season one um, where they kind of start out harking back to the glory days, but we never actually see them as kids. 
Uh, we actually only only catch up with them when they're grown up, jaded. They've all you know been in the four corners of the world, reuniting after the death of their dad. Mm. Season two follows a similar path, albeit with a whole new Back to the Future Part Two type of setting. Here, with our unreliable heroes thrown through time into an early '60s Texas period, following a cataclysmic end of days occurrence seen in the final episode of season one. So we now follow the Hargreave siblings as they attempt to reunite to face another apocalyptic challenge, this time posed by an invading Russian army, while also attempting to alter the flow of time by erasing the the assassination of JFK in 1963. None of which are spoilers, as they're all presented, by the way, in the first five minutes um, of episode one, season two. Right. Season one was very visually and audibly stylistic with incredible CGI, cinematography and soundtrack choices, including literally out of left field um, dance routines that the characters would sometimes do. Um, It was critically acclaimed, reaching over 45 million households on Netflix's platform. So season two has a lot to live up, up to. However, season one was also slammed for being slightly too pondering, a little bit dark in tone, humor notwithstanding. Um, and didn't feature enough blockbuster-level moments of excitement, um, excluding the final episode, by the way, which was uh, cataclysmic, as I mentioned before. Season two kicks off with an all-out team-up for the ages against the aforementioned pesky Ruskies, the likes of which we didn't see in season one, and the kind of Marty McFly-level time-hopping madness that really gives the rest of the season the legs needed to keep the interest level at nuclear. What's really interesting is that the seven siblings have been sent to different times in the same location of Dallas. So when we catch up with Vanya, for example, played by Ellen Page, she's hit by a car and loses her memory. Allison, we catch up to, is actually married and has been there the longest. She's actually been in the 60s for two or three years. Uh, Klaus has become a cult leader. Diego is a Sarah Connor-like inmate in an insane asylum. And Luther is a hired muscle for the future Oswald assassinator, Jack Ruby. Um, So they've all been in the 60s for a different amount of time, even though they all entered at the same time. One of them went to 1960, one of them went to 1961, two of them went to 1963. So they've all kind of been there at different points and therefore it's difficult for them to kind of meet up. And it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, throughout the rest of the series, how they, they finally do that. Here we find more of a male order Avon lady sheen to visuals. With bright sun, 60s pastel, slim Aaron's like uh, color palettes, you know, those um, amazing Palm Springs, you know, cocktail party around the swimming pool type photos yeah. from the 60s and 70s. Um, this is a near about 180 turn from season one's morose and dark corners, less Adam's family and more Stepford wives. Uh, and it works because the humor is always set to dark. Yet now we can kind of relax and enjoy proceedings and, and laugh along with it without the anxiety that at any moment we'll laugh at the wrong point. Um, standout performances in season one were Robert Sheehan as, as the ghost summoning Klaus. Um, here, still haunted by his deadpan ghost brother, Ben Hargreaves, to hilarious effect. And perennial schoolboy number five, played by Aidan Gallagher. Number five is the fifth brother or the fifth sibling. Um, and, and he was he was the, basically the doomsday clock for the previous episode. Here again, with his time jumping antics, we we get given glimpses into the ghost of apocalypses yet to come. Number five is most interesting because when he finally emerges in season one, we learn that he's actually lived for forty five years 
in a post-apocalyptic future. But when he returns to the present in season one, he returns with the body that he left in. So he's still basically a 12-year-old boy in a school uniform, but he's lived for, you know, basically 60 years. A lifetime. <laughs> a lot of lifetime, yeah. Um, so he's he's the oldest, you know, in, in maturity out of all of the characters. They're all in their 30s. Um, and the two continue to play really well in season two, but we also get a lighter side finally to Ellen Page's Vanya, um, which was much needed after her previous slide into darkness um, and, a, and a really nicely worked 60s civil rights storyline involving the African-American uh, Hargreaves family member, Alison, and her new husband, played by Yusuf Gatewood. Here, they're navigating the storm of institutional racism in the 60s set period. There's a really nice scene where Alison emerges in the 60s at the same time as everybody else. In this case, she arrives and goes to the diner across the street and there's a sign that says no blacks and they point to it and she's she's not allowed in entry, um, which would be really difficult for someone of our period to to contend with, as you can imagine. So there's a lot of interest around this. Um, I think this is going to be uh, another smash hit. If, like me, you were a little bit unsure of season one or maybe you got bored along the way. I, for example, watched that over a period of a few months. I didn't binge the whole thing, um, although I know some people that did. Um I'd say it's worth catching up. I'm two episodes in here, but I feel that the new setting allowed the characters to unite the dark and stormy shackles of their previous season, followed by the increase in comedic and nerd-friendly script moments. Obviously, a lot of time-jumping references in the script here um, to time-jump movies. Um, broken up by some genuine tentpole moments of daring do and excitement, which is going to offer up a whole new slice of weird. Um, so this is familiar yet new at the same time. It's a reboot of a rehash of a superhero story that's been told time and time again, except here with the right balance of self-knowing and cliche that makes this an interesting watch and most definitely one of the most highly recommended watches that we've had the pleasure of reviewing this summer. So The Umbrella Academy Season 2 is out now for everyone to watch the entire show on Netflix. If you haven't seen Season 1, do it. If you have watched season one, but were giving this a, wasn't quite sure about it, jump straight in. Don't even think about it. The first five minutes will have you absolutely hooked. So that was this week's review. Uh, we're going to now move on to the classic 1995 Kevin Costner with gills <laughs> behind his ears. A web feet. And webbed feet, really weird looking webbed feet, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Video Store Corner's take on Waterworld. <laughs> Dry land is not a myth. I have seen it. <laughs> Phil. Yes. Do you remember seeing this movie back in the day? I, I do. I Did you see it in theatres? No, I didn't see it. Uh, I don't think I saw it at the cinema when it came out. I remember all of the hype about it, though. I mean, I would have been, what, 10? 95 it was. Yeah, 10. So it's... Yeah, I think it's... I didn't see it then, but I did see it pretty soon after it was released. And I think I might have seen it once a few years later. But watching it this past week... 
was the first time I'd seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it on TV or anything like that since in the last sort of, you know, at least 10 years, at least. Yeah. So it's been yeah. a while since I've watched it. And I must say, because I got this recollection of it being slammed and, you know, it was the massive, like the biggest budget film of all time when it came out. Yeah. Although it was picked by Titanic shortly after. <laughs> but True. it was... You know, you, you, I think it's one of those films that everyone goes, "Oh yeah, Waterworld, that rubbish film that was like slammed and stuff." But it's not that bad. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, you can see where the budget went on this thing. It's insanely. You could just tell that they spent a lot of money on it. It's one of those films. It's insanely where it's insane. Such, it's such large scale. The sets on it are huge, and everything. It's all practical as well, isn't it? You know, I know there's bits of CGI and stuff around, but it's all practical. You can just see it's a proper blockbuster for its time. Um, I think, I think the cast is good. I, I think Kevin Costner's one of those actors is a bit marmite, isn't he? You either love him or hate him. Carly, yeah. my wife, she's got an irrational hate of Kevin Costner, apart from in. Um, Prince of Thieves. Good, good, because I was about to fly over there and <laughs> very violent. <laughs> I was about um, to cut her heart out with a spoon. <laughs> um, no, you got to, you got to ask me now. You have to ask me now. Why a why spoon? A spoon? Because, because it hurts more, you twit. <laughs> I love that. Um. So yeah. And obviously, to link that together, Kevin Reynolds, the director of Waterworld, also directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's a few things I like about it. One thing that I really loved was, and it's such a silly little detail, but when it opens up, it's because the studio is Universal, and we all know that the Universal logo is a globe with and Universal oh, comes yeah. on at the beginning, and, and it pans around, you know, the, the text, the Universal text sort of pans around the earth while the earth's spinning. But then they carry on because it's water world. So the earth, the text goes away, the universal text as it normally would, but then it zooms into the earth and it keeps turning around and then you see it all flood. Yeah. And then it zooms down onto the earth and down to his boat that he's on. It's genius. Yeah. I love little details like that. I like it when they do little. But have you ever, have you ever seen a movie? When was the last time you saw a movie where there was an actual narrator, like a like a trailer narrator, you know, in a it's world. It's a proper trailer narrator at the beginning. How weird is that? It starts, the, the Universal logo gets all, all watery and the world goes underwater and we hear the polar ice caps have melted, covering the earth with water. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. <laughs> and right, then it just could, zooms in on... They just do that with text the, now. Yeah, like just text to come up on the screen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they've always done that. When have you yeah. ever seen a movie where there's a narrator that narrates the intro like that? No, apart from like completely different genre type things, maybe yeah, like, the like Magnolia Bride or, or like, like when it's part of the story that there's a narrator. Yeah, N- no, hardly ever. It's yeah, I did find that a bit odd actually, but I quite liked yeah. it. <laughs> it felt nineties because of it. <laughs> It did. It, it felt weird because of it, to be honest. It felt very weird, but I love it. And I completely agree with you. 
this is a movie I didn't see this in theaters either. I remember I think I was in Dublin when this came out, mm. and um, to be sure. And and I, I for some reason our parents, my parents didn't didn't go see it. I think because it had such bad reviews, they're like, no, no, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see. That. And I I've watched it a lot since because I had I remember watching it on Sky when I was a kid, you know, on on cable at home, mm. and and loving it and watching it a load. And this really took me back to watching it, you know, in my bedroom on TV, chilling. Um, and, you know, all the little moments in there that I remembered so vividly from that time. I really like this. I think it's a really good movie. I think it's a genuinely good movie. Um, it's Apart a bit the first dated. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> because the first, the first scene one. is, <laughs> the first scene when it zooms into Kevin Costner on the boat <laughs> is him pissing into a bottle, like from behind. And you just see it when he finishes his... Yeah, and drinking it. No, but the first he... scene is Kevin Costner pissing into a bottle and then drinking it. Yeah, but when he finishes pissing, he's like clenches his butt cheeks to to you know get the final drop out, and it's just and it's, just, it's I, just see, too much. I didn't notice him pinching his butt cheeks to get oh, the I final did. drop out. Phil. I, I think I, was like, oh, I think that's Kevin. all on you. I think you. Oh, Kevin! I no, think you've Kevin been in quarantine too long. long. Oh, he's drinking no, I think it. You've been in quarantine too long. He does filter the piss first, isn't it? It's not straight, straight. Well, allegedly, we, we're never actually told that. We just see him filter it, so it's he a bit unusual. He just does it for show <laughs> to he's make him just feel just like doing he's filtering show, it. clenching his buttocks. I tell you what, I did love about that scene when the uh, the, the pirate trader comes along, and then we see, um, and he he asks him about his boat, and he says, oh, "I've seen that. I've seen that boat before." Um, they're actually speaking in a language in, in a language. I assumed it was made up. It's actually Hindi. It's Hindi, yeah. So they're actually, yeah. Which I thought was really cool, um, and I say that like, like like I understand Hindi. I just because I, I yeah I've read that as well. <laughs> it's Hindi. Oh, you read that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I actually I the reason Hindi. I saw it is because I was watching it on Netflix with the subtitles on, ah. and it came up saying in Hindi, and then it translated what he was saying, which I thought okay. was pretty cool. Yeah, oh, that is cool. I've got some other cool facts that we can talk about. Go on. Well. Oh, you want? Shall I go into them? So, go on. For my favorite trivia section of IMDb. So as I said earlier, uh, prior to Titanic in 90... Oh, it was 97, wasn't it, Titanic? Mm -hmm, This mm -hmm. was the most expensive film ever produced. Um, And as I said, you can see why when the set is insane. Um, Weirdly, (laughs) the huge set, uh, which is, I think it's about... quarter of a it's a, a huge floating set the atoll which yep. is like the city that's in it at the beginning the floating city and it's it was a thousand tons and i think up it took up like a quarter of it was a quarter of a mile in length and it's it cost 22 million dollars to build the set off the coast of hawaii yeah but apparently that set this is a weird one had no toilets <laughs> it had like <laughs> 30 boats and a quarter mile, a quarter of a mile of uh, set, and twenty two million dollars. They didn't put any two to, any, any toilets on it, so they had to. Well, I think we know they, where the toilet is. It's where they where they try to sacrifice Kevin. <laughs> where they in, roll in the, the corpses into, and they roll the corpses in the <laughs> bubbling, festering pit of shit, <laughs> floating shit. But yeah, so they had to ferry cast and crew, like to shore near the shore. To like a barge that had toilets on it. It's like just put some toilets on the $22 million set. It's an incredible set, though. And I know it's funny that Universal didn't learn um, from the issues they had on Jurassic Park. When they were were making Jurassic Park in production, 
um, like Jurassic Park, there was an actual hurricane that halted yeah. production for a significant it amount kept of time. Them back, yeah. Same thing happened on Waterworld two years later. What were they yeah. thinking filming yeah. in Hawaii? And it actually sunk the entire atoll set, which meant that they had to then rebuild it <laughs> its entirety. <laughs> See where the bloody budget went. And there goes the budget. Yeah. Uh, so apparently Kevin Cosner was on set for 157 days, working six days Well, a week. you can tell by his suntan, can't you? <laughs> yeah, he does look like he's been out in the sun a long time. Sunblasted. Yeah. Um, when I when I ask for a steak now, I just say Kevin Costner, Waterworld. All <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, right, yeah, orange. Um, he apparently, and I don't know if this is true, but he demanded that the visual effects crew hide his receding hairline digitally. What? Which? Yeah. Did that I'm actually sure work though? True. Because. It, it's definitely receding. It's because he's swimming as well, makes his hair wet, so you can't really see his hair. Yeah, I heard that he got so obviously he spends the whole film pretty much soaking wet, doesn't he, or in the water. Mm. Mm. And I think apparently... you were soaking wet from the sound of things. Watching, him, <laughs> watching his buttocks <laughs> oh, tense. Oh, Kevin! Um, and he, I think, in an interview that he did on TV around the time mm. of its release was was that he said that he got so he was like really good friends with the crew and stuff but he actually grew to resent them quite a lot when they were just throwing water over him like buckets of water over him constantly <laughs> like without fail because he had to be soaking wet the whole time and i can imagine that being quite draining after 157 days 100%. yeah <laughs> i was thinking um, that because there were so many scenes where he's just jumped out of the ocean yeah you know, or he's looking like he's just emerged from from swimming somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then he's he has to do a load of dialogue with Gene Triplehorn, and it's yeah. like, well, what is he? You know, what, how long has he been stood there with that soaking water dripping off of his hair? <laughs> but you know, he he was all in on this. He was full method. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was going for it. Definitely. He's a bit of an arsehole in it as well, especially at the beginning. I think that's the point, isn't it? He's an arsehole at the beginning. Well, this is what I end. wanted to mention. I wanted to mention this to you. He's a real son of a bitch in this. Apparently, yeah. Kevin Reynolds wanted him to be this kind of stoic hero, you know, man of few words, like one of the old Sergio Leone, um, mm. you know, spaghetti western type anti-heroes. Kevin Costner wanted him to be much more... Um, you know, uh, swashbuckling, Flint, uh, Errol Flynn type, you know, Peter Pan jumping around, you know, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But when we actually see Kevin Costner interact with other people, he's a real dick. And th there's a there's a note by the English bad guy, the big ginger guy. I can't remember his name. If he <laughs> even has a name. His name is um, Nord. Nord. And he plays he, the he judge in Batman Begins. Just to let you know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And he, is and, also, um, he also died a few years ago, which is a shame. But I, lo Sorry. I love, I love him in this because he, when Kevin Costner is, goes up to the bar and he's like, oh, "I'll have a glass of whatever it is, whether they call it aqua or whatever," which is obviously yeah. just, just hydro water. Hydro. That's it. I'll have a glass of hydro. And he comes up. And he goes, "Oh, I'll, I'll make it two hydros. I'll, I'll join you. I'll join you." And then obviously he just goes, like I said, one hydro. And yeah. then later on, the bad guy's like, you should have bought me that drink. <laughs> and he's kind of got a point. He's kind of got a point. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, there's for a me, lot of good lines. 
for me, no good things have ever come from not buying someone a drink. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then, and then when Jean Triplehorn and uh, as Helen um, and the, the 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 young girl Enola are on his boat on his catamaran and they're they're kind of sailing off, um, he beats up a naked Helen with an oar, throws <laughs> a small child overboard that can't swim in the wake of the boat who can't swim. He didn't know that, and but then, still. Then cuts both of their hair off in a rage. <laughs> yeah. And then pimps Helen out for a piece of paper. <laughs> for a bit of paper. Yeah, and then changes so... his mind. He's like, actually, do you know what? Actually, no. I, th- I, think, um, I've, I think this is unacceptable. It, I, yes, I think this might be unacceptable. I might have uh, in this day far. and age, you would never see this happening in a movie. This was super, you know, massively dated. Um, and it shows. I mean, it's a quarter of a century old. It's 25 years old this yeah, week. Yeah, that's why we picked up on it, I think, wasn't it? Because we saw, I think I said to you, do you realize mm. that Waterworld's 25 years old? Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? No, it's not. Oh, it but is. that, I think, for what, what would you say is your best scene? Uh, any of them with Dennis Hopper in. I love his character. <laughs> he's such a Deacon. Dickhead. Deacon, yeah, he's great. And I like it when because um well, he blames him for his eye coming out, but that's clearly it's not. It's his sort of henchman's well, incompetence. He, he does pull the boat so that the guy keeps firing, and then yeah, but the guy keeps firing. Blows up his sack of in a oil, fit of rage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dennis Hopper gets an eye out, doesn't he? And uh, <laughs> I made a note about <laughs> when he. T- it's a scene where he pulls up his eye patch because they're looking out for him in the uh, in the thing after. Uh, that you know he's got away from him a couple of times and then he just he close up to Dennis Hopper pulls the eye patch up and he's like we gotta keep an eye out because he's only got one <laughs> eye <laughs> I see what he did there I see what he did there yeah he's uh, outstanding he, in this this was brilliant. coming off the back of speed as well because obviously he's yeah. a great villain in speed yeah really made me want a cigarette though because he smokes permanently in this film everyone not only does he smoke permanently but he's throwing cigarettes out to everybody around him <laughs> Just yeah. handfuls of cigarettes. I can't see in that situation where things are really, really hard to come by. Like, how did they get such a quantity of cigarettes? And I don't think you'd be throwing them out in the quantities that they did. I feel like, you know, shipping containers. I feel like there are probably shipping containers that are full of cigarettes, you know, yeah. full of... And they probably thought, well, you're not going to live that long anyway. Exactly. So they probably, they probably you know, they're, they're pirates. They're, plund- they're plundering. They're, they're on the Exxon Valdez, aren't they? The massive... They are. Yeah. They are, they are, they are. Um, um, fun fact, though, about the Deacon character. Uh, do you want to hear the list of awesome names that were um, turned down for the role of this? Go on, go on. Gene Hackman. James Kahn. Wow. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Gary Boosie. Lawrence Fishburne. And Gary Oldman. I would have seen, I'd like to have seen all of them. Yeah. All of them. But they were definitely going for a type, weren't they? This like alpha crazed, yeah. <laughs> slightly older <laughs> gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But any of those would have worked really well yeah. As, yeah. as Deacon. Funnily yeah. enough, there's a little uh, link there. If Samuel Jackson had got it, uh, he also, which he didn't, obviously, but... Um, Samuel Jackson. He would, you know, what he would have said if Michael Jackson, if if um, Samuel L. Jackson was in there, he would have just added a motherfucker to the end. He would have said, "I've had enough. 
of this motherfucking water on this <laughs> motherfucking world. <laughs> yeah. But then he goes on to play Nick Fury, who's also bald like Deacon and also has an eye patch. True story. So he, he got his bald eye patch uh, fixed later. I in wish. Life. I wish when we were when when we were trying to figure out how Nick Fury lost his eye that it wasn't scratched out by a space cat. It was actually by Kevin Costner pulling a boat with a machine gun that fired into him and blew up his oil rig and that would have been amazing. in the ocean. It exploded his eyeball. What a link that would have been. <laughs> Um, that's incredible. I love all those actors. So that would have been absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, Gary Oldman really like, would have been phenomenal as Deacon. He would have like, been fucking he, phenomenal. He plays the crazed bad guy well, as we know from the fifth element. Well, just going back and speaking of the Avengers with, with Nick Fury there, um, Joss Whedon actually did an uncredited script draft on this. And essentially he was tasked with putting all of Kevin Costner's own ideas into the screenplay um, at the behest Ooh. of Kevin Reynolds. Yeah. Um, okay. He he actually, to this day, he calls himself the world's highest paid stenographer <laughs> and called the experience seven weeks in hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, really interesting. Also the fact that it, the script was co-written by David Tui, um, who, you know, in later years wrote and directed uh, Pitch Black with Vin Diesel. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Chronicles of Riddick and so on, yeah. um, of course. Uh, for me, like growing up with this, I thought this was an original movie. Having then grown up and seen all of the Mad Max movies, yeah. I did then realize that this was just a ripoff of Mad Max. Without it's Mad desert. Max it on the water, water, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's exactly it. I mean, yeah. in every way, in every way, shape or form, except without yeah. the R rating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I want to know if you noticed... You know the the scene in this where you've got the the pilot. Oh, the just plane. before you say that, by the way, oh, just sorry, before you say that, I was going to say. Speaking of Mad Max, Dean Semler, the cinematographer, yeah, shot the first two Mad Max movies. Oh, so he knew what he was doing in the post-apocalyptic. Uh... I went for the same thing. Yeah, the same look. Yeah, you know sorry, what, what were you saying? Uh, so yeah, what I was going to say was, I, d- I didn't know if you noticed this, but you know, there's the scene with the pilot in the plane. And he's got like a gun yes. and they're, they're circling yes. around his boat trying to shoot him. And they uh, hit him with the, Gosling. like the, it was like the, um, it's like the Hoth assault with the snow speeder when they, they start wrapping <laughs> yeah. the boat it's up. Like yeah, wrapping it around the mark. They fire yeah. the grappling hook into the plane from the boat and it kills yeah. the guy in the back. Yeah. Do you know who the pilot is? Is it Jack Black? It's Jack Black. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Jack Black's been in everything, isn't he? It's pretty crazy. I didn't know that until I looked it up afterwards, I'll be yeah. honest, but. I didn't, I couldn't, uh, I'm normally really good at telling like those little rock, but I didn't notice that was him. That I mean, same he was, year, he must have gone from Waterworld onto Cable Guy. Yeah. Jim Carrey. It's pretty crazy. He, it was actually only his fifth movie for Waterworld. So he was fresh. He was well fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was never in Sorry, I ruined your fact there, didn't I? <laughs> Completely you ruined bastard. Your fact. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you know that Kevin Costner nearly died during a sequence when he was lashed to the mast of his boat and the boat drifted off to sea without anyone else on it. And it took nearly half an hour for the rescue team to reach Kevin Costner and untie him. I reckon that was the visual effects guys that had tied him to it because they didn't want to do his hairline in post. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get me off this fucking boat. Someone better let me off. 
just sailing off into the sunset. <laughs> God damn it. Bye, Kevin. <laughs> You're nothing without me, damn it. <laughs> Oh, oh God, dear. I thought it was incredible. The, the, also, it's interesting to note that there was a lot of turmoil on this. Um, ba- basically, Kevin Reynolds, the director, who'd obviously worked with, as you mentioned, uh, with Kevin Costner on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hmm. Uh, he actually quit Waterworld three months before the film's release. So during the edit, when they're in the edit suite, no leaving right. Kevin Costner to do the Edward Norton-like uh, role of actually finishing editing the movie himself. So he, right. the cut that we see is the is the Kevin Costner cut of of Waterworld, um, and apparently there's a lot more. Um, there were a lot more that was cut out of this movie. It was obviously two I minutes. I think there is a version. I heard there's a, re- a version with about twenty extra mili- minutes in it, twenty or thirty extra minutes. That's got a lot of extra scenes. I mean, it's already t- not yeah, sure I can cope t- with that. No, it's already two and a quarter hours. It's already long enough. Costner and um, Reynolds actually didn't uh, bury the hatchet until. They worked together again on the Emmy Award winning 2012 uh, miniseries Hatfield and McCoys, the Western. Right. Um, but they, so they buried the hatchet eventually. But yeah, there were a lot of, there was a lot of uh, bad blood between the two. Mm. Um, and there was also and other issues where early in the shoot, Gene uh, Triplehorn and Tina Majorino, who played um, the young Enola, yeah. uh, were thrown from Kevin Costner's boat. Um, when the bowsprit snapped off, and they both nearly drowned, apparently. Apparently, Blimey. a team of 12 divers had to pull them out. Jesus. Yeah. Saying that, Tina, who plays Anoda in that, is really good. She's a really good child-like kid actor. Yeah. Um, did you know Anoda is alone backwards? I did. I did know that. You're reading all my facts. You already read them out. No, I knew it because there's a song <laughs> by the Welsh band Manic Street Preachers called Enola Alone. Oh, and okay. Yeah, that, after, that's why I did. Did they do that from Waterworld? Uh, yeah, it's all about the child um, key to dry land in, in Waterworld. Oh. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm sad about that. They should be. Oh. Oh. Well, there we are. But yeah, Waterworld. Loved it after I absolutely watching loved it, it too. Yeah. yeah, I recommend watching it again. And by the way, one thing I found out is if you type... Waterworld into all one word into Netflix. Obviously, Waterworld comes up if it's <laughs> available in your in your region. Yeah. Um, but second, Noah, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Noah's Ark story uh, by Darren Aronofsky. So if you type Waterworld in Noah, <laughs> someone's been having fun with the tags there, aren't they? Without related, doubt, without doubt. Because can you imagine someone going into Netflix and going, "What? What was that biblical story? That I can't remember. It's something to do with water world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it becomes a water world. I really fancy watching Noah. That, that was it. A sea-based adventure today. I'll just put water into the thing. Uh, no, but you have to put water world in for it to come up. <laughs> Noah comes up. I think I think they should bring up um, National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> Wally World. Wally World and Waterworld. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you ever get to see the uh, Waterworld stunt show at the Universal Studios? No. I think I've seen some footage of it, though. But I yeah, with the high dive. Oh. Yeah. I watched a similar one about pirates at Legoland. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was just as good. 
were you the the only grown man in the audience watching? Yeah, this is only last year without children. (laughs) (laughs) I went on my own last year. He's great. So that was Waterworld. Um, I think you know, twenty fifth anniversary. If you love your cheesy action films, if you love your nineties movies, worth going back into and watching it. Uh, We both really enjoyed watching this again. And uh, if you watch it, reach out to us. Let us know some of the, uh, the the fun moments in there. Not least of all, the moment when the English bad guy suddenly turns American uh, before he's about to die and goes, Ahoo! You should have stayed underwater! And then Kevin Costner <laughs> blows him away. I don't know why he has an American accent all of a sudden, but it was no, very He's got a weird unusual. Yeah, accent, isn't it? Oh, he's one actually... last thing I wanted to say. Yeah. The scene at the end when they walk into the hut on dry land. Oh, yeah. And the guy, the burly guy with the beard that's kind of been called to Kevin Costner the whole time, yeah. walks in and he sees the two skeletons in the hut laying on the bed. Mm. And he just randomly says, we must put them under the dirt. I think it was their way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how the fuck does he know it was their way? How does he have no idea? He's never seen dry land. No, it's meant to be like, oh, there was like an interview. that They never give away in the film what year it was set. But it's, I think someone said later on, or in a making of book, someone mentions that it's like 22, I can't remember, it's, it's, it's mm. or 25, I can't remember. It's, it's really, really far in the future. It's got to be, it's got to be thousands of years. They say, hun- they say centuries, don't they? But it's got to be thousands because humans are evolving and that giant fucking fish monster that tries to eat Kevin Costner. That he then, they oh then yeah, that's really eating. random. I thought it's some well. kind of highly evolved, yeah, CGI creature. It's twenty five hundred. Is it meant to be said? I just looked it up because I, I was in. I, I knew I'd read it. Yeah, two thousand five hundred. Wow, I mean that's a lot of evolution in five thousand years. Yeah, yeah. Those cigarettes are doing quite well then, really. <laughs> they are, they're doing all right, aren't they? they, they surely they just go where into they're a, finding the tobacco. I thought they just go into a puff of smoke like, immediately. You light one, it's just a puff. Good stuff. And we Jack Daniels obviously it. got a good shelf life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dennis Hopper even smashes a half empty bottle of it. How wasteful. So it makes me think that he's got a ton of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what a great movie. And uh, highly recommended to rewatch it. Give it uh, another look after all these years. And uh, yeah. Sure to sure to be able to pull something fun out of that out of that movie. So on next week's podcast, we'll be bringing you another slice of movie and TV related podcast fun. But before then, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and please do subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Give us a nice five star review on Apple Podcasts. And there's just one last thing to say, Phil, isn't there? Is there? Yes, there is. What's that then? Goodbye, Phil. (laughs) See you later. Bye. 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 question comes from Gavin in the UK and he says hi Miles and Phil the other week you guys talked about Dread a movie I really wish they made a sequel to (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck was that
Burr, your, my, the sound burr, of your. Burr. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Burr, burr, burr. That's our first dance song. 